You've made it to your international destination. Now it's time to come home. Are you ready to deal with customs? From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Pete Combs with your trusted source for business aviation news. A lot of international flight crews will tell you flying into an international destination is one thing, but coming home to the States is something else. And it's that something else I'm talking about right now with a flight crew that has a great deal of international experience. Greg Kulis is a pilot and security coordinator for a large flight department in the Midwest. Will Tebow is also an international pilot and Cam Mazio, a flight attendant, both with the same company. Let's start with Greg. It would seem the best return trip from an overseas destination might be the one you plan before leaving, right? One of the things that we always do is hold a pre-trip briefing with all of those involved, in, including our dispatch. We include our maintenance section. We include flight attendants and the pilots. Everybody has a role in that pre-trip planning. And those briefings, for example, include an aircraft briefing from the technicians a checklist that our flight dispatchers use, arrangements and flight planning that the flight crew has done, and arrangements and planning that the flight attendants done. So everybody shares the information. Regarding State Department preparation, one thing that our dispatch does for us is we're very committed to what the State Department Overseas Citizen Services refers to as the STEP program. That's the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. All of the flight crew information is entered in the STEP program. So the State Department has the information on that flight. Should any type of emergency occur or any routine service, such as passport replacement, something along those lines, all of that information is there in advance. In addition, everybody enrolled in that STEP program will receive emails issued by the various embassies that have oversight for those destinations. So any uh, security type information, any information that U.S. travelers need to know will be sent to everybody that's enrolled in email format. Well, when you get that information, tell me a little bit about what you do with it and how you process it and where you take it from there. When we do our pre-trip briefing with the dispatch and maintenance and the whole crew, we also have correspondence with our handler to make sure that there aren't any security concerns and any kind of special requirements that that country would have. And Kim, you probably are dealing with that from both the crew point of view and from the, the passenger point of view as well. Yes. Um, when we're in our pre-flight briefing from the flight attendant perspective, we talk about um, items such as um, needed passports, visas, um, any special requirements regarding catering, where it's obtained from, from the countries that we're visiting. All right. So you're, you've actually made your outbound trip. You're preparing for your leg back. And you've got some things to consider after you've made your visit, after your passengers have accomplished their mission there. Tell me a little bit about coming home here. Greg, there's some things, big picture, that you have to consider from, from a customs and border protection standpoint. There is. 
from the Customs and Border Protection standpoint, your destination coming back into the United States matters because customs facilities are designated differently. For example, an airport that customs categorizes as international is available to provide services 24 hours a day, seven days a week, basically at no charge to the operator. An airport designated as landing rights, which is the most common in the United States, and it's very important to know this distinction because the flight coming back into the United States, if you're going to a landing rights airport, your arrival time has to be approved and you have to grant, be granted rights to clear customs at that destination in advance. It's common in the industry to make that mistake. The filing of the APIS in and of itself does not constitute landing rights at a landing rights airport. That has to come directly from the port director. So the airport designation, when you're returning to the United States, there are also fee-for-service airports where you can get custom service upon advance request for a fee. So airports are categorized differently. I watch for that landing rights airport designation because that's the most common error we find in the industry is that somebody shows up from an overseas destination. They see the airport has custom service. They land there expecting to get service, but they have not procured landing rights in advance. So those are the type of things that we have to look for on our return clearance. Will, can you give me a sample flight uh, and, and how you actually make that happen? Yeah, I would say depending on what airport you're flying back into, CBP recommends that you contact the local office and find out if they have any special requirements such as making a phone call two hours out or uh, something like that. I also try to make sure we do not open any doors before we see the customs officer give us the, the signal that it's uh, cleared to open. Mostly I would say just contact the local office that you're going to be clearing with and find out what their requirements are. Kim, as you're preparing to come home, what are the things that, that are, you're thinking about in the in the cabin and with the passengers? What are some of the things that are heads-up items for you? For the flight attendant, one of the biggest things is the catering. When you're coming back into the United States, in the point of entry, all regulated garbage has to be removed from the aircraft. So um, prior to the aircraft door being opened, all regulated garbage has to be sealed and a customs officer has to remove it into an approved container. It cannot hit the ground. Another consideration is the customs forms from the passengers need to be filled out prior to them exiting the aircraft. Kim, what are some of the issues that you might run into with the forms? I understand the garbage, but with those forms and with some of the things that your passengers might be bringing back, they may not have the knowledge that we have based on frequent travel. That's correct. In filling out those forms, a lot of the items that they have purchased and are bringing back into the United States have to be listed in the value of the currency that they're carrying on them. Their address needs to be correct on the customs form as well as the spelling of their first and last name. And in terms of things they might bring back, do you concern yourself with that at all? We do not. We just make sure that they understand that higher valued items need to be listed and they need to have those receipts. Greg, you're on the ground now at your port of reentry into the United States. Take me through the process here because there's a bit of a dance that you need to do to make things go smoothly. There is. One thing we haven't mentioned yet that I think is important to bring up 
is to ensure that there's not any holdups or problems on arrival. It's very important that the flight crew compares the passports that the people are holding to the advance information that was sent through the EAPIS program. And I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, if uh, EAPIS submission contains a different last name due to a marriage or a name change than the actual passport, that's going to be problematic on arrival. Other things that come up regularly are dual passported citizens. So it's important to know that, say, for example, somebody is a citizen of France, also a citizen of the United States, and holds passports for both countries. A United States passport holder coming into or leaving the U.S. has to travel on that United States passport. Certainly, once they're over in Europe, moving around Europe, if they want to use their French passport, that's perfectly acceptable. But a U.S. passport holder has to use their U.S. passport to and from the United States. And what would frequently occur is somebody may have a French passport on file if that were entered on the EAPIS, and that's not the passport that they were using coming back in, that would also be problematic. So it's very important that a member of the flight crew compare the passports that the people actually have to the information that was entered in EAPIS to make sure they're in agreement. And that will prevent a lot of holdups and delays upon arrival. Greg, do you have a recommendation as to which flight crew member that generally should be? Not necessarily. Um, it, it Just somebody, somebody who's designated. And typically, I know the way we do it is we have a check-in process inside the FBO or our departure facility. As the passenger arrives, assuming it's one of the pilots greeting them, that flight crew member will typically have a copy of the information that was submitted through the EAPIS program. And as the passengers arrive, we will ensure that they have their passport on them and compare those passports to the information that was submitted to EAPIS. Folks, let's take this conversation to a practical level. You all have what I understand to be extensive international experience going and coming back. What's bitten you and how did you handle it in, in, in a way that our members might learn something? Um, will, let me start with you. Well, we've uh, seen a couple of different things, and luckily most of the time it's been caught before we've departed. Um, people think they have their passport on the, in their bag, and they I, I asked for it, and they say, yeah, I've got it. Um, you get in the air, and they say, uh, oh, actually, I left it at home. So I've gotten into the habit of always checking it, not just verbally, but I want to see it. And also, like Greg said, confirming all of the numbers, dates, uh, are the same because I've seen one number off, and that's enough to get you into trouble. Other than that, um, I, I can't really think of anything that's uh, bitten us too much. It can be easy to get complacent and think that uh, somebody else is taking care of the APIS because our dispatchers take care of it. And some companies allow their service provider to submit their APIS. Um, but it is the PIC's responsibility to make sure that the APIS is submitted and it is submitted correctly, and if there are any changes, uh, they'll need to take care of that as well, unless if a passenger comes off your manifest, that does not uh, require a resubmission, nor does a time change or anything like that. It just requires a phone call. But we did have a crew that uh, assumed that the APIS had been submitted and it, and it hadn't. So it's a good idea to uh, check that email before you take off. That's one of the last things I make sure I have is the email 
from our dispatcher that confirms our uh, APIS has been submitted formally. And you made a good point. Look, it's the pilot and command's responsibility to get this right. So the pilot and command might be the best person to have eyes on to this at the aircraft. Exactly. That's that's what I do for myself. I'm going to bring up one other issue discussing the passport and the APIS checks. That's crucial for every flight. And that is matching each piece of luggage and each package that gets on that aircraft to a passenger. For example, I'm aware of a situation where a passenger was asked by one of his coworkers to bring a piece of luggage back to the United States. That passenger was remaining in the country of origin to fly home later. So when we got back for customs processing, we were selected for an inspection. All of the baggage was offloaded. Come to find out, we have a suitcase that no specific person is now claiming ownership of because it was transported back by somebody else who requested it. So matching each individual package, each individual suitcase to a passenger on that aircraft and absolutely ensuring that nobody's transporting anything that they're not claiming sole ownership of is a huge issue. And it's something that everyone needs to pay attention to. We will tag them and we'll match everything that gets on the airplane to one of the passengers that's aboard the aircraft. Kim, what has bitten you uh, in the past or what looked like it might and you worked your way out of it? One thing that comes to mind is from a catering aspect, removal of the regulated garbage, making sure that the passengers understand they haven't inadvertently placed something in a bag such as fresh fruit that they cannot bring back into the country and making sure that I thoroughly go through all the areas of the galley and the cabin to make sure that I have actually disposed of all the regulated garbage and finding something past the point, which I then had to open up the bag to put it back in. Are they going to actually walk onto the plane to inspect the galley and to make sure that this is done? Yes. Yes. There have been many instances where they will walk onto the aircraft, they will open all doors, drawers, cabinets, and thoroughly inspect every area to make sure that everything has been removed. And those are the times that there may have been something behind something else that inadvertently was missed. Greg, are there any procedures that you need to be aware of that might be different as you're coming back to the States from, let's say, Asia or Central or South America or Europe? Yes. And that's that's typically known in advance. For example, different points of origin are treated differently by U.S. Customs and Border Protection upon arrival. And um, we would, would typically know as part of our dispatching process, we have a method of, of looking it up. There is a hard copy manual they can also be found electronically, but um, U.S. Customs and Border Protection has some different restrictions and some different paperwork requirements depending on the point of origin. Typically, European countries um, are not very different, uh, and and that's very much standardized. But what I, as part of our dispatching process we will research the point of origin uh, and, and look up any additional requirements that we may have to complete based on that point of origin. We will communicate with customs at the clearance destination and ensure we have everything that, we're, that they are asking for. So um, 
So it's very important to research that as part of the dispatching process. What about if you're coming in from the South? That is, you're crossing the southern border to reenter the United States. Is there anything in particular we should consider if you choose that route? I'm glad that you brought that up, Pete, and the timing is very good for that because the southern border overflight authorization has gone through some recent changes of simplification, and it is much improved. So operators that hold a southern border overflight exemption, which allows aircraft coming from points south to overfly the first points of entry and uh, go on to their destination within the interior of the United States. That program for quite some time has uh, required a lot of detailed information on the authorization, including the member of each flight crew and specifications on airports and specifications on destinations. It has since been greatly simplified. And operators who hold the southern border overflight exemption can expect that at their next renewal, those exemptions are centrally controlled, require basic information on the company and its flight operation, no longer requires a lot of detailed names and the application process has been greatly simplified. Those who have had their authorizations renewed recently will have the new ones. Those who hold one of the older ones, it's still valid until its expiration date, but upon its expiration date, you'll receive a overflight exemption under the new system, greatly improved, greatly simplified. And uh, we're very grateful to CBP for having made those improvements. That's pilot Greg Kulis, who works for a large flight department, an NBAA member company based in the Midwest, along with fellow pilot Will Tebow and flight attendant Kim Mazio. Overseas operational security is a topic in the March-April 2019 issue of NBAA's Business Aviation Insider magazine. The article is called Best Practices for Security Overseas, and it discusses a number of crucial topics, including vetting services at your destination, researching security before you depart, best safety practices between the airport and your hotel, and much more. And don't forget to check out NBAA's exhaustive resources for international operators, including up-to-date news on eight different regions around the world, along with information on commerce and regulatory issues. Let me give you the address for that. It's nbaa.org slash intl. Again, that's nbaa.org slash intl. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan podcasts at Apple's iTunes website at your favorite podcast site or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Pete Combs. Thanks for listening to Flight Plan.